This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The former president of Honduras, Juan Orlando Hernandez, is being extradited to the U.S. following his arrest last month on drug charges. He's accused of conspiring with cartels to take millions of dollars in bribes from known drug traffickers, like El Chapo. Even though rumors about his involvement in the drug trade have been swirling for years, Juan Orlando Hernandez, or JOH as he is popularly known, was arrested mere weeks after his presidency ended. Honduras currently has no charges against him, but now that a judge has approved his extradition, JOH will soon move from a prison cell in Honduras to a cell in the United States. Our producer, Sarah Cavedo, sat down with Deborah Bonello, the senior editor for Latin America for Vice World News, to talk about what happened and what this case can teach us about the war on drugs and corruption in Central America. Hey, Deborah, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Hey, Saira, thanks for having me. So, yeah, let's let's talk about what recently happened in Honduras. I'd love if you could kind of bring us into the action a little bit. So recently, the United States issued an extradition request for Juan Orlando Hernandez, who is the former president of Honduras, the Central American country. Security forces were called in on Monday night to surround the wealthy neighborhood where the former president of Honduras lives. Less than three weeks ago, Juan Orlando Hernandez was in charge of the country. Now, the U.S. is calling for his arrest and extradition. And the U.S. want to extradite him on drug trafficking charges. They're accusing him of essentially aiding and abetting violent cocaine trafficking organizations that transport cocaine through Honduras on its way to the United States and Mexico as well. Investigators say President Hernandez received bribes amounting to $25,000 from Giovanni Fuentes Ramirez, an alleged drug trafficker currently on trial in a U.S. federal court. This didn't come as a surprise to anyone who's been watching the news and especially the sort of organized crime panorama in Central America for the last few years because We've seen a number of very prominent drug trafficking trials play out in the United States where prominent traffickers have essentially pointed the finger at Juan Rolando and accused him of taking bribes to let them do their business and, you know, keeping law enforcement off their backs and all that kind of stuff. Now, JOH has always denied being involved in the drug trade, of course, and has dismissed these allegations as the words of embittered, convicted drug traffickers. What has the reaction been like within Honduras? I mean, I think 
The rumours and gossip about his involvement in the drug trade have been circulating for years. I think the important thing to remember is JOH did very much lose legitimacy. He did two terms and in his second term there were lots of irregularities around the vote and he had lost a lot of popularity around that. The region in general, you know, Central America has been plagued by corruption for, you know, decades and there's been a number of big scandals. So I don't think it came as a surprise to anyone in Honduras. And I think that uh, there are also probably a lot of other people who were underneath JOH in that rotten political establishment who may be worrying whether they could be next. But of course, he was the highest profile to be made an example of. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, they couldn't have gone any higher than him. Right, right. And the U.S. is requesting extradition. And I'm curious why you think that they had this sort of reaction. Like, what is the context of that particular relationship? The U.S. has always had a very sort of cynical relationship with Honduras. Um, You know, a lot of this played out during the Trump administration, during which all Trump was really concerned about was... Uh, the issue of illegal immigration. And of course, you know, tens of thousands of undocumented migrants were getting to the US-Mexico border from Honduras. And he recruited JOH as a partner to sort of stem this flow of people. And even though Honduras has at times had some of the highest homicide rates in all of Latin America, which is itself the most homicidal region in the world, JOH signed an agreement with the Trump administration deeming Honduras a safe third country where migrants who were coming from other parts of the region uh, would be stopped and prevented from going further. So whilst JOH and the Trump administration were palling up to him, they were also, you know, indicting his, his brother for drug trafficking in New York, which I think is obviously acknowledgement If the president's brother is involved in drug trafficking in a country that is a major transit hub for cocaine, that's going to have huge implications for governance and security. So to be able to persuade JOH to sign up to being a safe third country, that the US would deem Honduras a safe third country when it was prosecuting and convicting JOH's brother is just... I mean, I think it's kind of anti-narcotics diplomacy at its best slash worst. It's like, he's a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch sort of thing. So maybe stepping back for a second, can you tell me a little bit about Juan Orlando Hernandez's presidency, right? So you you mentioned that he served two terms. Like, when was he elected? And then what, what kind of president was he? I mean, to give you a bit of context about Honduras, Honduras lies between Colombia, Peru and Bolivia to the south and the United States to the north. Now, Colombia, Peru and Bolivia are the three major cocaine producing countries in the world. And the US is one of the largest cocaine consumers. At one point, the DEA estimated that some 80% of the cocaine that ended up in the US was transported through Honduras. So you have to understand that there is this constant flow of cocaine moving through the country. There were always going to be players in the country who were going to move it and corrupt the necessary channels that they needed to do that. So I just, I just want to put that on the table first. So JOH took a power in 2014. He's a very unextraordinary president in some ways, you know, not particularly charismatic or handsome or tall. You know, he's kind of gray and and slightly kind of, 
you know, unmemorable. And he inherited a country that, that's plagued by a lot of the problems that other Central American nations are plagued by, you know, violence, poverty, insecurity. And those problems are not easily fixed in his defence. But there are questions as to whether he ever made any sort of sincere efforts to improve the living conditions for ordinary Hondurans. And I think the message that a story around his drug trafficking activities sends to Hondurans is that when he should have been worrying about the well-being of his country, he was essentially on the take. And, you know, already from a very rich and powerful family in Honduras to boot. You touched on this, that he's sort of our, our son of a bitch, if you will. Like, would you say that there was a sense that this was going to happen? Well, the strange thing is that when JOH was head of the National Congress, before he became president, around the same time that he was doing million-dollar deals with Chapo in the jungle, allegedly, he backed the sort of reopening of an extradition agreement with the US. Now, why would you do that when you were doing million-dollar deals with Chapo Guzman, right? Like, I suppose he did that to, to sort of reduce suspicion. It could be that a lot of his actions and decisions were motivated by this arrogance that I think a lot of Central American leaders have, which is that they're going to be given impunity, you know, like there won't be any consequences for their actions because of the lack of, you know, we, we know that Central America's justice institutions are weak and accountability is, is low. So you'd kind of think, well, why are you allowing these people to get arrested and extradited if you know that they're going to shit talk you once you get to the US, right? Because these guys are going to go to the US and they're going to tell prosecutors the deals that they've done with you and, and the way that you've protected them. Do you see what I mean? It's like he was trying to play both sides, trying to keep the US happy and yet apparently doing all these, you know, dirty deals behind closed doors. You're right. I mean, there's something that it doesn't quite add up. It's either incredibly stupid or incredibly arrogant or maybe both. It's just hard to know which one it could be because it seems so obvious that if you extradite people who you are involved with, that they will absolutely point you out as being involved as well. Why not have them stuck in the courts in Honduras where no one in the U.S. will give a shit? Like, it's, it's very counterintuitive. What was interesting, actually, was that there was speculation that if the indictment or the charges were made, that JOH would run and that he would go to, you know, Ortega's administration in, in uh, Nicaragua, which is currently, at, you know, loggerheads with the U.S., and that he would seek protection there. But JOH sort of gave himself up immediately and, and agreed to cooperate, which is, is also interesting. You know, you're like, well, maybe he has a really good defense somewhere up his sleeve. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I can imagine someone listening to this and, like, seeing this news and thinking, like, wow, an ex-president, like, that's a huge deal. My question for you is, like, is it a big deal? Like, how much is this actually going to change in terms of the landscape of drug trafficking across Central America and between Central America and the U.S.? I mean, look, it's a big deal because clearly they've had all this evidence and testimony against JOH for a long time. And he was a head of state. 
and they decided not to indict him when he was a head of state. But the fact that he was until literally two months ago, you know, that sends a message of like, you're not getting away with this or you're not getting away with what we think you've done. I think that's a very strong message. And I think it's a strong message from the US to a region that is rife with corruption and suffocated by the drug trade and the money that it brings in. But, you know, Saida, and I, I hate to be the cynic here, but if you look at some of the other major cases, and like, of course, Chapel Guzman was not a head of state. He was perhaps the most powerful trafficker in the region. And I have had DEA agents, current and past, tell me that his arrest and sentencing has not affected the amount of drugs passing through the US-Mexico border, the Sinaloa cartel. It may be fractured, I'll give them that, but it remains one of the most powerful criminal organizations in the world. On the one hand, yes, I suppose it's a disincentive to some people who might be considering going into the drug trade, but there will always be someone to do that because the profits are so extraordinary. And then you have the JOHs who are kind of, you know, parasites and enablers. Governments and organized crime feed off each other. So I think that disincentive strategy is always going to be a huge part of these arrests and these cases, and it has a lot of value. But is it changing the situation on the ground? Sadly, I don't think it is. Think about it like a river, like the river is always going to flow because it's going somewhere and the place it's going is where it's wanted. So as long as that water's flowing, there will be the people to shepherd it to its destination. We'll be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you want to just give like one or one or two examples of of what exactly JOH is accused of doing? So the charges against him in the Southern District of New York basically accuse him of smuggling more than 500 tons of cocaine or helping smuggle more than 500 tons of cocaine. 
One trafficker, whose name was Victor Hugo Diaz Morales, also known as El Rojo, basically said he paid Hernandez $40,000 in 2005 to buy protection from the Honduran military. So essentially, Hernandez and his military were pretending to the gringos that they were doing all this anti, these interdiction efforts, but they were telling the drug traffickers where they were going to be and what they were going to do so the drug traffickers could effectively avoid falling into their net, if you know what I mean. Right. You know, making interdiction efforts look like theatre, essentially. And and my sense, too, from the way that you sort of described the web of accomplices is that that he wasn't working alone either, right? And I And I think this gets back to this other point that you made. Just bringing down JOH does not make the river stop flowing because it seems like convenient for our narrative around the war on drugs that like you bring down an ex-president and surely this thing will be weakened when it seems like you're pointing to the fact that like in fact it's much larger than just this one very powerful man being arrested. You know, Juan Orlando Hernandez, JOH, he was the president and his party was the national party. And if you just look at the sort of web of people that he was surrounded by, who are sort of a combination of, you know, political elites um, and law enforcement officials who were working with drug traffickers. You know, you had the presidential spokesperson, Abel Diaz. He has been implicated. Hilda Hernandez, who was the social development minister, and the vice president of Congress, Gladys Aurora Lopez. They've been implicated in embezzlement networks and NGOs. You know, Porfirio Pepe Lobo, who's a former Honduran president, has also been accused of drug trafficking. His son, I believe, is in prison in the U.S. for drug trafficking. Like, corruption is something that's very much, and you know, it's very much endemic. It's part of the system. And a lot of that ranges from drug trafficking to corruption and embezzlement and the misuse of public funds and what have you. But the point being that, you know, JOH was not acting in a vacuum. You know, he is sitting on the top of a castle that is filled with people who are on the take and people who are involved in some sort of criminal activity. I think that's important because narratives in the US and in Hollywood, like, we love these villains, right? And and they are engaging and, of course, like, they make great headlines, but... They're part of a system. They're part of an ecosystem and they're, they're, they can't act alone, which I feel is also kind of how the drug trade works in general. You know, it doesn't exist on its own. It needs all these other actors from drug users in the US and other parts of the world to powerful elites in their own countries to help oil the machine that moves drugs through from one place to another. The The other thing I'd say about the drug war, and I hate to be... I mean, I know this is like, but I'll say it. The drug traffickers don't want to go out of business, but the drug war is also, you know, it's why the DEA was invented. And the drug war for politicians, it's the easiest way to make them look as though they're cracking down on the the big bad drug traffickers who are, you know, bringing fentanyl and cocaine to to our children and our communities in the US. And so it's a very convenient narrative that's popular with voters. I know these are age-old arguments, right, for the drug war, but it, it seems to me that there's plenty of evidence to show history repeating itself and, like, that things aren't getting any better. Right, yeah. I mean, no, I think it's a really excellent point. And I think it helps put sort of some of what we're talking about here into perspective, right, because I think it doesn't seem like 
the thing that we've done for the last several decades, no matter how powerful the person is that we sweep into the net, that doesn't seem like it's going to change anything at all. I also think that JOH, I, I don't think he's innocent, but I think he's also like, he's very important symbolically. I think he did aid and abet, and that is not what heads of state should do. But yeah, he's like a, a convenient scapegoat. I'm like, I get it, but like it kind of diverts attention away from other important questions that we were just talking about, you know? So if we can focus on this kind of Miami Vice sort of narcos, like that whole side of the business, which is dynamic and interesting and like a lot of those narratives are very easy, I think, for for Americans to relate to or to understand. But I think it's, it does kind of detract attention away from these much more nuanced but equally important issues and challenges that simply aren't being adequately tackled by government. I think it's easier to go after the quote-unquote bad guys than it is to be like, well, why do Americans want so much cocaine? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode was produced by Sarah Cavedo. Vice News Reports is produced by Sophie Kazis, Jen Kinney, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Ashley Cleek, Adiza Egan, Sam Greenspan, and Stephanie Karayuki. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, Natasha Jacobs, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producer and the VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is Senior Production Manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Catherine Barner. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Zumros. Before we end this episode, I want to take a moment to say congrats to El Elo, Vice's Spanish-language news podcast, which is made in collaboration with Radio Ambulante. They just made their 100th episode, which is a huge milestone. You can find El Elo and their special 100th episode wherever you get your podcasts. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, and so do I, but I really mean it. It would be great if you took the time to rate and review Vice News Reports on Apple Podcasts, because it really does help other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. 